0: Shannon, I was thinking of this uh, this last week. My oldest son turned 12, and that's how old you were when I moved here. And I remember that really clearly, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm a father of a 12-year-old. It's crazy. Hey, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. My name is Jesse. Uh, part of the pastoral team, welcome. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Brad will uh, hand you one. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verse 14 is where we're starting. So if you could turn to Mark chapter 9 uh, and go to verse 14, I'll add to uh, the announcements that Amy just shared. Obviously, there is a lot going on in our church. We say this every week. So please download the app if you haven't done so. That's the easiest place to register for events. Uh, that 's the the number one spot that we're able to update as fast as possible, so it 's usually the most current, and then after that would be the web page and then all the social media stuff so we 're on all of those platforms uh, the the social media stuff the newsletter gets sent out every week. you can sign up for that on the webpage or on the app and uh, like I said, online registration for everything we 're kind of moving we 're trying to move us together as a church in that direction. most of you. Who've been here for a while are so used to the handwritten stuff, and we're trying to move a little bit more away from that and do all the digital signups. So, please uh, download those things, look at those things, be aware of those things. I have a class that I'll be teaching over at Andy Finch's house on Tuesday nights, starting at the end of the month. Uh, it's a leadership course. So, if you're uh, a current leader that isn't. Uh, that has Tuesday nights free, we would encourage you to come if you want to develop your uh, leadership abilities. If you want to grow in leadership or you want to know what it's like to be a leader, this is going to be a a great uh, place for you to come. Uh, And online registration for this as well. So please sign up online so we know what to expect. I think Andy's worried about chairs. Want to make sure we have enough chairs. So that'll help us with that, okay? And we're not feeding you like everybody else feeds you. Uh, We're fat enough as it is, okay? Speaking of which, last week, um, that was a good transition, wasn't it? Speaking of which, last week, fat last. Okay, no. So last week in the second service, I I I made. Uh a, a deal about how I turned, you know, I turned 44 last week and my body's decaying, and thank God that, that we're going to get a good body in heaven, and and I mentioned that I had seen a t-shirt online, but I didn't have the the withal to buy it, that online there was a shirt that I saw that I thought epitomized me really well, and the shirt just simply says, kind of fit, kind of fat. <laughs> so I mentioned that last week in the second service, didn't come out in the first service, and uh our our admin guy, Joe Casey, this week on my birthday, handed me the kind of fit kind of fat t-shirt. <laughs> I thought about wearing it this morning, couldn't do it and um, but I just wanted you to know what a great staff we have and how much they love us, so Okay, would you stand with me, let's read together? If you're able to and um and again, if you're you're new, we stand during the reading of Scripture, mainly just to kind of give us some some kind of remembrance that what we're doing does have sacredness to it, that what we're doing has some beauty to it. And in our culture and our society, we really don't have a heart for certain things that are just special and unique and beautiful. Everything's so common. And I think the internet has done that. Like you just get information easily. And we kind of get lost in the wow of stuff. And the wow of this is gets God speaking to his people. And so we stand just to get our hearts there and and so uh, let's start verse 14 chapter 9 and when they came this is Jesus after he's descended down from the mountain when they came to the disciples that is the other nine that weren't on the top they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them and immediately the crowd when they saw him were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him and he asked them what are you arguing about with them And someone from the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often been the case, it has tried to throw him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you, mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse So that most of the people said, he is dead. But Jesus looked and picked him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so we pray now that we would have dependence on you. We need you in this moment. We need you for every breath of every day. We are dependent upon you, Lord. And I ask that our hearts this morning would cry out for your help and your assistance, that we would believe, even though all of us, if we're honest, struggle with belief. So be with us and comfort us and strengthen us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Well, remember, this has been a, a gospel this has been a book that i think has just some depth to it that that shows the splendor and the majesty of not only Christ but but how god has ordained scripture the way that mark has layered things and fit things together to speak to the church to to minister to his people in many ways i know for me as a student in the last several months of studying this book it have left me awe of just really how tremendously great Jesus is. What we saw last week is we saw Jesus took his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And so we see that even out of the 12, that Jesus knew or, or had a select few, a smaller group, that he was going to be a little bit more dependent upon for the growth of the church. As you know, later Peter would be told, Upon the church. I'll build it upon you, the rock, Peter. I'm going to use you, is essentially what God said. And so Peter, James, and John go to the pinnacle. On top of that mountain, there is a transfiguration, which we literally see the inner being of Jesus revealed to these men. As the true nature and deity of Christ is manifested upon the top of this mountain, Peter opens his mouth and says, we should build tents, tabernacles for all three of you. Peter knew that this was a spiritual high, a moment atop this mountain where where God had manifest himself, yet Peter didn't know exactly what was happening. He still was with misunderstanding. He was putting Elijah and Moses, who were also transfigured on that mountain, on the same level as Christ. Jesus obviously does not allow the tent Uh, to be erected. Any of those tents to be erected. Instead, he has another message for the disciples. The mountaintop moment is important. It shows us that Jesus is the better Moses. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. Uh, He is the fulfillment of Elijah and all of the law within Moses. He fulfills all of these things. He's better than Elijah. He's better than Moses. And then in this passage, where we're at in verse 14, Jesus has led Peter, James, and John down the mountain and upon the revival uh, of the arrival at the bottom of that mountain, what they find is a demonic boy. The contrast cannot be lost on us between that which is on top of the mountain and that which is at the bottom of the mountain. I mean, let me just use one for a moment. We're gonna tease these out through the rest of uh, the discourse this morning. But if, if we just pick one, On top of the mountain, the Son of God is glorified. Jesus comes face to face with God the Father, essentially. The cloud that is uh, there upon the mountain, it, the wording there is that it has enveloped them, it has covered them, it is complete presence of God, complete presence of Jesus. There is nothing that compares to this moment on top of the mountain. It's Jesus and God the Father manifest to his disciples. At the bottom of the mountain, by contrast, Jesus no longer face-to-face with God the Father, but now face-to-face with Satan himself, from light down into darkness, now, the purpose of the story is important, I think, that, that, that we have to understand that, that in contrast, mountaintop experiences are good, right? I did youth ministry for several years, and in youth ministry, uh, I noticed that junior high students and senior high students typically leaned heavily on experience, right? Their minds are still developing, their hearts are still developing, they're maturing, uh, and so they, they like the, the kind of excitement that comes with, uh, the, you know, youth events, And someone actually mentioned to me the other day, you know, we're trying to revamp the building and all this stuff, make it all nice. And some of you can look around. You can see there's carpet on the side of the walls. Maybe you've never noticed. Or maybe you have. But someone told me the the other day, like, it's ugly. We should take it down. It's time to replace it. And uh, do you know why that carpet is on the wall? Because when I did youth ministry, we were putting holes in the wall every week. (laughs) You remember, Andy? This is a true story. There's plywood behind that carpet. So youth students wouldn't put holes in the wall. Now, can I just say, uh, I, I gotta hurry up and say this because otherwise I'm gonna leave the message behind. But can I just say, I love the heart of the church where it says, hey, instead of we're putting holes in the wall, we should have the kids no longer play rough inside the sanctuary. Instead, the philosophy was we're putting holes in the wall, we love kids, what's the solution? We'll put up some plywood and hopefully kids won't put holes in the wall. You understand what I'm saying? The difference between, you understand what I'm saying? Nothing's sacred. People are sacred. God is sacred. And and I'm just saying the philosophy I think is wonderful. We're going to keep it. So as Jesus is going down the mountain, he's teaching the disciples by the way of also teaching us. And I think teaching those who are younger that you have to at some point At some point, you have to put junior high church away. At some point, we have to have some maturity about the things of God. At some point, we have to have an understanding and a discernment about the things of God. Ultimately, what I think this passage is about for us this morning is our desperate need for Jesus, our desperate dependence for Jesus in ministry because you're not gonna have mountaintop experiences all the time. Now, I don't know when things are going to start to feel a a, a little less oppressive and a little less stressful for us. But if you live in California, there's a good chance for the foreseeable future, we're always going to be dealing with some kind of fire threat. We're always going to be dealing with some kind of financial thing, it seems. Housing crisis, maybe that's going to start crashing. Maybe that's good for the younger folk. We don't know what the future has. But what we do know is that we're not going to always stay on the mountain and that the down the mountain, in the valley, God's there too. Jesus is in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the hurt. He's there. Now, yesterday I was at a memorial service that that some some of you were probably there and some of you were aware of it. And I want to be somewhat cautious and somewhat careful. But but if you were there, you will know that if you are a Christian, that, that there are those of us in society that are grasping, grasping at straws for comfort. Instead of the only comfort that Jesus can bring, death, resurrection. And really what yesterday was is a peek into what most of the people in Tahoe believe. A kind of open-spirited belief that, that all that we need is love. And love will conquer all. But I would argue that you can't understand or define true love until you look into the face of Jesus. It isn't until you see the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ And his comfort, not only in the mountaintop experiences, but also in the valley, that God is present with his people on top, and he's present with his people at the bottom. The bottom line is truly this. As Shannon just came up, God is involved in the business of freeing these women from sex trafficking. He's not absent. He's not distant. He's not ignoring the problem. He's a God that enters into the problem. And he's a God who's asking us to enter into the problem with him. Now, in verse 14, it tells us, take a look there. And when the disciples saw, or I'm sorry, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. So Jesus comes down the mountain and we have a shift. Do you remember last week, uh, the last couple of weeks, we basically went down this path. We saw the blind man who gets partially healed, and he sees fuzzy. Then he's touched again, and he sees clear. And I I made a point how the illustration of that man from seeing fuzzy to clear is also the same truth for us as Christians. We're constantly moving from fuzzy to clarity. That is the growth process. And then Jesus manifests himself, and he shows himself to his disciples so they can clearly see who Jesus is. Everything we talked about last couple weeks, we're all about seeing Jesus. But in this moment, you can't help but see if you've looked at the text closely, we move from seeing to now hearing for our Lord. As Jesus comes down the mountain, he hears an argument. That's the first thing we see. Between who? The religious Pharisees and the disciples. About what? Well, probably about demonic oppression. The disciples are probably being mocked by the Pharisees because exactly what happens in this story is that a father, and in Luke 9... Luke 9, we're told that the father is the father of his only child. So this, again, is another parent with his only child brings this individual to Jesus and says, hey, you weren't here. <laughs> so I asked the disciples to do it, the other nine, and they couldn't do it. They failed, which is crazy because if you remember previously, Jesus had just sent out his disciples two by two to go have success. Now they're a failure in this moment. We have to ask the question, why? We'll get there in a moment. We have to ask the question, why did they fail? Why couldn't they make ends meet with this? And so as they come down, verse 14, again, I think it says in here, they're arguing, back to the hearing thing, sorry. uh, He hears the argument of the Pharisees. he He hears a father's voice in desperation, and later he'll see and hear the demon cry in defeat. So we move from seeing to kind of hearing. Here's point one that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples down the mountain. Three needs this morning. Here's the first one. Uh, Needs that we'll always have. That's how I've defined these things. Uh, Things that are essential for us as Christians. Things that are important for us to have. Things that we cannot let go. And what Jesus first and foremost is trying to teach the disciples here is that you will always need Jesus. You're going to always need him. You're going to need Jesus present, especially as we see in the text here, within opposition, hardship, and criticism. Right There, there are, as I, it was apparent to me yesterday, right? You're not the norm. You're not. Because you believe in the is- exclusivity of Jesus Christ. You believe in the fact that, because this is exactly what Jesus taught. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's biblical teaching. Jesus says, if you want to understand God, you've got to see me. If you see me and you understand me, you've seen God the Father. Without Christ, without Jesus, there's no understanding of who God is. And so they're arguing which is a little ridiculous because Titus tells us later as well as Second Timothy, avoid fights and have nothing to do with empty quarrels. But the disciples aren't mature enough yet, so, so they've failed, and now they're arguing. I could imagine in my mind what the argument looked like. <laughs> you guys can't cast out demons. You're nobody. Jesus is nobody. And here are the disciples going, well, yeah, but like, like two chapters back, we did a thing. Right. You imagine what the conversation's like? They're, they're having this argument. They're being mocked because they failed at this healing. And Mark 13, 11 tells us this. Later on in this same gospel we're in, the writer will tell its readers who are being persecuted. When they bring you to trial and they deliver you, don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're gonna say for in that hour, it won't be you who speaks but the spirit of God. What is this passage in Mark 13 essentially saying? Dependence. Let me make sure I'm being clear at why I've labeled the message the way that I have. Right? The necessity of need, the necessity of Jesus. We're always gonna need Jesus. We always have to attach to Jesus. What does Jesus say at the end of the passage? Go ahead and look at verse 29. What is the question the disciples ask in verse 28? Why couldn't we cast it out? And then Jesus' answer, only through prayer can something like this be cast out. What is Jesus saying? You can't do anything of spiritual necessity, anything of spiritual power, anything of soul work, inner man work on your own. Jesus has to be 100% involved. You see, this is what happened with the disciples. They went two by two, and they did some stuff they saw healing. They saw people accepting this message of Christ. They probably even cast out demons successfully. And probably what happened is the disciples had that success. Jesus went to the top of the mountain. Let's make more Old Testament contrast. Who else went to the top of the mountain? Moses. What happened while Moses was on top of the mountain? So what was happening at the bottom of the mountain? Chaos. I like you said that. Chaos. Somebody erected a, a flipping golden calf made out of all of the people's earrings and jewelry and bracelets, and they began to worship it because Moses was on top of the mountain. They worshiped a false God and a false idol because Moses was absent. And when he comes down and he asks Aaron, What in the world happened here? Do you remember Aaron's response? We well, don't know, man. We just kind of threw some things just poof. And this thing just appeared and we figured when a golden thing appears like that, we better just start praising it, which he lied because he helped build it, right? Now, likewise, likewise, Jesus is on top of the mountain and the nine disciples are down below messing it up. Why? Because they've become their own idols. They are the, themselves. We have the power. We can do this. Jesus gave us this stuff. We can do it. And what they did is they thought that, that somehow, way, the gift of this power, the gift of being able to cast out demons, the gift of being able to heal people that Jesus gave them, that God gave that to them, and now it was all dependent upon their own strength to just go ahead and handle it. See, what they did is they rested on their own past successes and they didn't trust Jesus. They tried to do ministry apart from the spirit of God himself. That is their error, and that can be our error. And so as Jesus comes down the mountain, and we know we need him in the opposition of hardship, and we need him in the opposition of criticism so that we will not be crushed underneath it. Because Jesus is also doing something in this text. Mark is also doing something in this text that's important for us in understanding our dependence. He's letting us know that demons are real and that demons desire to kill you, destroy you, and to cause pain. That's what's happened to this poor young boy. Some people believe that what he's experiencing is epilepsy, a a grand mal-type seizure, which I've literally been in the presence of somebody who's had a grand mal seizure. It is a scary, frightful thing. You think if you've never experienced it, the person's dying. Now imagine not having the knowledge of of all of that back in the Old Testament. and, And here, here we see this demon has taken this young child and literally is trying to murder and kill him. Notice the language. Anytime this boy gets near fire, the demon casts him into the fire. Anytime this, this boy gets near water, the demon casts him into the water. Imagine as a parent with no electricity the, 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 the reality of what this would be experienced for this family. Maybe we can't start a fire tonight because he might throw himself in. Maybe we can't go down to the river and swim and get some water because he might try to kill himself. Demons are real And we need Jesus, not only in the face of criticism, we need him when we fail. Because notice, this is failure. The disciples have utterly failed. But can we also just understand something about faith? Faith sometimes is attached to failure. Right, you have to be... One of the greatest things you could teach your child as a parent is it's okay to mess up. Sometimes when you take a step of faith, sometimes there's something to catch you and sometimes there's not. Because when you take a step of faith, that's what it is. I, I'm assured that God's gonna carry me. I'm gonna, share my, I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna share my faith, faith with that person. I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna go to this event and, and talk to people about Jesus. Or I'm gonna go to a Bible story, st- study or I'm gonna, whatever it might be, I'm gonna take a step of faith in this regard, whatever that regard may be, and we're going to fail, and failure is a part of growing. Because what happens when you fail? You're reminded of what my first point is all about. Dang it, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Well, let's, let's take a look at this. This is really interesting, because I, I want you to carry away this major point here. Notice, notice the nine disciples have failed. The nine disciples have failed. But the message is so powerful here. Because even when you fail in sharing your faith, and even when you fail in parenting your kids, and when you fail to be a good husband or a good father or a good worker, whatever it may be, when you fail, the words you need to remember are this. Take a look at verse 19, the last half, right before verse 20. How long am I to bear with you, he says. You hear his frustration. You, you, you see his, his angst. You can tell that Jesus is, is how long am I going to deal with a lack of faith with you? He, you can tell he's moved in this moment. But then he says this, the promise of knowing that Jesus is going to do something. What does he say? How long am I to bear with you? What's that last few words there, the last four words in the text? Bring him to me. When you fail, just keep bringing people to Jesus. Nothing frustrates me more when people say, well, I don't like church because church is filled with a lot of fake people and a lot of broken people. And I, I, I don't like Christianity because Christianity tries to act like they're better than me. And they try to act like they're, they're more pure or more holy. I don't know what it is about Christians. They make me feel weird. These are things I've heard about people who aren't Christians. And who cares what people think about all of that? Just keep bringing people to Jesus. People fail. Your husband's going to fail. Your wife is going to fail. Your kids are going to fail. Everyone's going to fail. That's what we do. We fail. We're really good. We're professionals at failing. And all that does is it, is it bolsters us to say, I must be dependent upon Jesus. And when I fail as a father, I point my kids to Jesus. I keep bringing my kids to Jesus. When I fail as a husband, I take my wife to Jesus. And hopefully my wife does the same thing for me. I mean, literally in our marriage, we've literally had these kind of conversations. Well, you know I'm imperfect and I can't do anything to help your heart feel great right now, so you better go upstairs and talk to the Lord. You know, in culture, and society, they might say, oh, you're not very compassionate. You're not very understanding. That, you know, that's the best thing I can tell my wife. You need to go seek the face of Jesus. Let me help you bring you there. Keep bringing people to the Lord. One author says, I can do nothing that really matters without him. But this drives me continually to him for help. I need not let my weakness drive me. I'm sorry, I need to let my weakness drive me to his strength. I need to let my impotence drive me to his omnipotence. I need to let my limitations drive me to his unlimited resources. And I need to let my humility drive me to his sufficiency. All that is lacking in the disciples is not to look and point fingers at how horrible the disciples are. It's a lesson to them and a lesson to us. We can't do the hard, important, necessary work in changing, healing, or freeing people from demonic powers. We must rely completely on the power of God to do such things. And so Jesus says what Jesus, only Jesus can say. Verse 19 Bring this boy to me. Bring him to me. You can't do it. My job on a Sunday is to bring you to Jesus, to send you to Jesus. And and here we see this exasperation inside of the Christ, but then he keeps pressing in. Look at verse 19. Look at his emotions here. How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought him They brought this boy to Jesus. Notice again, we're seeing another theme of another person bringing another person to Jesus. Right, if you remember seeing this, the the man lowered into, from the roof, into the room with Jesus. was a group of men who did that. We've seen others brought to Jesus by other men. This is our job. Now lastly, what else do we need? Look at verse 19. Let's read again together. I mentioned last week too how my eyesight was getting bad, and uh, I went and uh, I only say that because I'm having a hard time reading my Bible right now. Uh, Good news! I have new glasses coming. So, uh, I mean, this is getting bad. And he answered them, "Oh, faithless generation! There's a faithlessness here. Do you see it? The the disciples." had faith in themselves, but they lacked faith in Jesus. So Jesus now says, okay, faithless generation. There there is no faith in you. This is my second point this morning. Not only will you always need Jesus, you will always need faith. You are never going to live without being reliant upon that word. What is faith? The assurance of things unseen, right? It, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. And, and the last couple years, this is a word for me that, that I, has just kind of been reawakening. You know, as a Christian, when you've been saved long enough, certain words start to lose their meaning. That word faith is becoming something more important to me as a Christian, because faith is reliance upon God, knowing, knowing that you don't have it all worked out and you can't do it on your own, but he's gonna work it all out. Parents, do you have faith? Not in your parenting, but in the grace of Christ. Husbands, fathers, where's your faith? It has to be in the Lord, right? What what does 2 Corinthians say? Walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to uh, please Jesus. Later, Jesus will say, because of your little faith, I say to you that if you do have any kind of faith, you can move mountains. The key to our faith is not the depth of our faith, but the direction of our faith. I've said this before. It's not about the size of the faith, but where the faith resides. Here, it's not the depth of that faith. It's the direction of the faith. Look up. And where is this father looking? He knows the nine can't do it. Who knows what the Pharisees have done? They're they're not even worried about the humanity of this boy or the father. They're too busy arguing with the disciples about their failure. Everyone in this moment except for Jesus has lost the reality that this little boy is in need of healing. This little boy needs somebody to embrace him. This father, man, he needs a hug. Doesn't he? And instead, the nine are over there going, no, 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 we're legit right? And the Pharisees are over there arguing, oh, you're not legit. All the while, there's a father in desperation pleading for his child to be healed. And Jesus is the only one who comes down the mountain and because he's completely attached to his father, he come, uh, to God the father, he comes down the mountain and he says, bring this boy to me. Obviously, the nine can't do it. Obviously, the Pharisees don't care about it. We see in the face of Jesus, he's the only one who sees the humanity in this man. He's the only one who truly wants to help this person. He doesn't care about status. doesn't care about stature here. He comes And what does his father do? He turns his gaze to Jesus, and he he looks to Jesus, and what does Jesus do in his compassion? Because you have to see the compassion of Christ here. How long has he been like this? Do you see it? Do you think Jesus needs to know that? I mean, it's not like this is a doctor going, tell me how long have your symptoms been bothering? Just take this, go home, you'll be fine. No, how long? Why? I'm here. Notice, just like any, if you've ever worked with anybody who's, who's a first responder, one of the things that you'll see, uh, if you've ever worked at all with any kind of first responders, is their ability to maintain coolness, calmness, and control in the midst of chaos. You can, when an EMT shows up, they're not in a rush they're not running, they're not hurrying, right? It seems like that person's dying, right? Like, like you, well, move faster! No, they're calm, and they're cool, and they're collected. This is exactly what Jesus is. He's, he's calm, and he's cool, and he's collected, because he knows it's all going to be handled. He knows that God's going to do something. He knows that rushing is going to hurt. And so as he comes and he asks that question, how long has this been happening to you? And then the father says, if you can do anything. And Jesus responds, if you take a look, and he says, you can. And then he goes back, and Jesus, as the man's looking to Jesus, Jesus begins to look back at the man, and he asks the man, basically he's asking the man, where is your faith? Do you have faith? And the man cries out what every one of us should cry out. I believe, help my unbelief. Anyone relate with that famous passage? Amen, hallelujah, I know Jesus is real. But Lord, sometimes I doubt you. But we must have faith. And upon that faith, Jesus sees that faith. And Jesus Jesus is helping this man believe. He knows, this man knows that his faith is weak and it's partial and it's incomplete. But that's okay. Because then Jesus takes this boy and he takes him off to the side again in compassion and he casts out the demon. And he tells the demon with authority, don't come back ever again. Notice the authority of the Lord. Like, he's cool, he's calm, he's collected. Leave here, never come back again. And then in verse 26, we see the boy's lying, and he's lying so still. What do they say of the boy? He's dead. What I think has happened is his soul is finally at peace and rest. But you also at the same time in verse 26 and 27 can't help but see that Jesus is going to hammer home the gospel as the Bible always does. Can you not see the picture? The boy is like he's dead. Jesus takes his hand, lifts him up and the wording that's used here is that this is far more of a resurrection than it is just coming up from, from being asleep. Do you see it? The boy is dead. The boy is alive. Why? Because Jesus has taken him by the hand and resurrected him again. Our need for Jesus and our need for faith are always there. They'll never cease. Faith, we're told in scripture, brings blessings to us. It pours water on the enemy from Ephesians chapter six and ultimately it brings victory. Faith is the thing that opens up the door. Okay, lastly, then boys healed. They go into the house, right? You, you can see it. Jesus, this is the, this is the per, perfect pastoral moment. If you're looking to lead and shepherd and pastor, Jesus is the one to look to. He privately takes this teaching time aside. He's about to rebuke the disciples because the disciples then ask the question. And I'm appreciative of the fact that they're willing to learn and be told what they've done wrong. They ask a hard question. How come we couldn't do it? how come I couldn't do it? And it's because they've missed the point of being dependent upon the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, you need to pray. You will always need Jesus. You will always need faith. Last point, you're always going to need prayer. These are things that have to be core values for us as Christians. And again, to contrast, this need for the Lord and this need for Jesus and This need for prayer, again, let's just look at the contrast for amazement. Remember the transfiguration and the healing of the boy, which we've just read. They're meant to overlap. They're connected. In the transfiguration, Jesus is on the mountain. Demonic boy, the, the boy who is a demon, he's in the valley. On the mountain, the kingdom of God is on display. In the valley, the kingdom of Satan is on display. The son is glorified on the mountain. A son is demonized on the mountain. A father, God the father, is honored by his son. While down the mountain, the father is horrified by the reality of his son. The disciples are confused on top of the mountain. And here, they're not just, de- they're not just uh, confused. They're, they're defeated. They lack power. There's a lesson about the future on top of the mountain. There's a lesson about faith on the bottom of the mountain. There is a display of divine power and then there is a directive for human prayer. It's to connect. The power of God on the mountain is not just for the mountain. It's to bring down into the valley. But it's going to look different. And it's not always going to feel fun. But we have to pray. Because when Jesus says in verse 29, this kind of, That word, this kind, only come out by prayer. The the word, this kind, is all spiritual confrontation. And if we go into spiritual confrontation with our own strength, with our own pride, and our own self-sufficiency, we will have lost the battle before it even begins. Did you hear me? If you, you go into life tomorrow, into work, into your marriage, into parenting, into whatever else tomorrow may bring, do you guys all know what your Monday brings? We all know what the culture's view of Monday is. I read Garfield in school. Dude hates Monday, loves lasagna. But we have to pray. We have to seek the Lord to work through our spiritual confrontation. And we see, as just by closing, we'll close here in just a couple minutes, just probably two minutes. I just want you to see the heart of prayer in the Father. This is your takeaway. I always want to pray. How do you pray? Number one, you can see this in the Father. Number one, you have to be honest. This is not a good thing. Yesterday, with what my wife and I kind of walked through in the memorial and everything, we couldn't help but walk away and call it what it is. This isn't necessarily a good thing. The gospel is muted. Hope, forgiveness, reconciliation, not mentioned. Forgiveness of sin, eternal hope in the person of Jesus who died for you. We have to call it what it is. In prayer, we're honest, Lord. I, I'm going to tell you what my sins are, and you go down the list. This is my sins. You tell them. What, you tell God what they are. I've lusted. I've committed adultery. Whatever that. Uh, be honest with the Lord. He can handle it. He's honest. Next thing we see in the father is he expresses helplessness. That's the whole point of this story. You are helpless without Jesus. If you can do anything, Lord, that's what he says. If, if you can, help my unbelief. He knows that Jesus can do it, but he's not sure he's going to do it. Express your helplessness to the Lord. God, I can't pastor Sierra Bible Church on my own. Lord, I can't love all of these people. I'm having a hard time trying to keep up with your names, y'all. And then you keep having babies, and you're like, oh, Pastor Jesse loves me. And you're like, hold my baby. And I'm sitting there thinking, super cute. Wish I could remember her name. (laughs) It's hard to keep up with. I can't do it, and you can't look to me to do it. Are you hearing me, family? You can't look to me to pastor you perfectly. I'm here to do it imperfectly. My job, though, every time you come to me in the office, on the phone, on Facebook, which some of you do, on Instagram, which some of you do, no matter where it is, no matter how you come to me, this is my job. Go to Jesus. All I am is a roundabout. Seriously, you walk into your Bible Church, this is what you're going to do. You see me, need Jesus. You turn around, you go back. That's it. And you go back. And you bring the Lord wherever you go. Express the helplessness, but also express hopefulness. I am helpless, but I know you can do it. That's number three. Number four, be specific. It's my son, this is the issue. And lastly, have passion in your prayer. This father's emotions can't be any more real than it gets. And this is what the most beautiful raw moments of prayer and intimacy with Jesus looks like. Getting away by yourself and having moments of realness between you and your Savior. I need you. Help me. Guide me. May I lean into you I mean, really, we make things so complicated and we get so anxious about all of the things that we're supposed to do as parents and whatever else, right? I'm just speaking as a parent. You know how easy it is to be anxious of your children? Especially when you have, you know, when you start having more and more, right, Ben? I I don't know if you guys know this. Ben and Ariane are pregnant with number six. Those claps will support you the rest of your life. All you need is some applause, and you can do it, my friend. At a certain point, life comes at you, whether it's with six kids or four kids like myself, or whether it's just life in general, and you're going to come to that moment and realize you're hopeless. You can't save your kids. You can't save your spouse. You're going to need something bigger than you. You're going to need faith. You're going to need prayer. And it has to be directed to only Jesus. No kundalini spirits here. No weird worshiping of anything other than Jesus. Because our worship, the enti- if you, and I'm sorry if you disagree with me this morning, but you just need to know this entire book tells you that if you worship other thing, anything other than God and Christ, you're going to end in a bad spot. This is what the whole thing, every page, every chapter, every part of it points you to the person of Jesus, to worship the person of Jesus, to be saved in relationship with Jesus forever and evermore. And that you and I who all believe in Jesus, we will go to heaven and we will sit with Jesus because of our faith in Jesus. And we will dine together and we will eat together and we will dance together and we will sing together and we will rejoice together and we won't cry and we won't worry and we won't have shame or guilt. We'll have perfect presence with Jesus on the mountain. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we... Um, we come before you again. And we, maybe just me, Lord, (laughs) just in a place of, of almost not having the right words, and maybe that's exactly what you need in the moment, or you want in the moment, Lord. Because if we're honest, there are no words heavy or important enough to express the true heart's need for you. And so we will allow, as we sing, for our spirits to groan, and to moan that we may not understand what we're saying. You get our heart, and we're thankful for it. Be with us now as we sing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, let's stand together. We uh, introduce a song.